Section 4 From Richard of Jamestown This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Richard of Jamestown, A Story of the Virginia Colony, by James Otis. Section 4 The New Country Sighted as Master George Percy has set down in the writings which I have copied for him since we came to Virginia, it was on the twenty-sixth day of April in the year of our Lord, 1607, at about four o'clock in the morning, when we were come within sight of that land which were to be built homes, not only for our company of one hundred and five, counting the boys, but for all who should come after us. It was while the ship lay off the land— her decks crowded with our company, who fain would get the first clear view of that country in which they were to live, if the savages permitted, that I asked my master who among the gentlemen of the cabin was the leader in this adventure. To my surprise, he told me that it was not yet known. The London Company had made an election of those among the gentlemen who should form the new government, and had written down the names, together with instructions as to what should be done but this writing was enclosed in a box, which was not to be opened until we had come to the end of our voyage. THE LEADER NOT KNOWN There could be no doubt but that Captain Kendall and Captain Martin both believed that when the will of the London Company was made known, it would be found they stood in high command. But there was in my heart a great hope that my master might have been named— Yet when I put the matter to him in so many words, he treated the matter lightly, saying it could hardly be, else they had not dared to treat him thus shamefully. However, it was soon to be known, if the commands of the London Company were obeyed, for now we had come to this new land of Virginia, and the time was near at hand when would be opened the box, containing the names of those who were to be officers in the town we hoped soon to build. As for myself, I was so excited it seemed impossible to remain quiet many seconds in one place, and I feared that my duties, which consisted only in waiting upon the prisoner, my master, were sadly neglected because of the anxiety in my mind to know who the merchants in London had named as rulers of the settlement about to be made in the new world. One would have believed from Captain Smith's manner that he had no concern whatsoever as to the result of all this wickedness and scheming, for it was neither more nor less than such, as I looked at the matter on the part of Captain Kendall and Captain Martin. Here we were, in sight of the new world, at a place where we were to live all the remainder of our lives, and he a prisoner in chains, but yet never a word of complaint came from his lips." ARRIVAL AT CHESAPEAKE BAY When the day had fully dawned, and the fleet stood in toward the noble bay, between two capes, which were afterward named Cape Henry and Cape Comfort, Captain Smith directed me to go on deck, in order to keep him informed of what might be happening. He told me there was no question in his mind, but that they were come to the mouth of Chesapeake Bay, where it had been agreed with the London merchants we were to go on shore. Standing at the head of the companionway, but not venturing out on deck, lest I should be sent to some other part of the ship, and thus be unable to give my master the information which he desired, I looked out upon what seemed to me the most goodly land that could be found in all the wide world. 
trees were the size fit for masts to the king's ships. Flowers bordered the shore until there were seemingly great waves of this color or of that, as far as the eye could reach. And set within this dazzling array of green and gold, and of red and yellow, was a great sea, which Captain Smith said was called the Chesapeake Bay. We entered for some distance, mayhap three or four miles, before coming to anchor, and then Master Wingfield, Captain Gosnold, and Captain Newport went on shore with the party of thirty, made up of seamen and gentlemen, and my master, who had not so much as stretched his legs since we sailed from Martinique, was left in his narrow cabin with none but me to care for him. I had thought they would open the box containing the instructions from London, before doing anything else, but Captain Smith was of the mind that such business could wait until they had explored sufficiently to find a place where the new town might be built. It was a long, weary, anxious day for me. The party had left the ship in the morning, remaining absent until nightfall, and at least four or five times every hour did I run up from the cabin to gaze shoreward in the hope of seeing them return, for I was most eager to have the business pushed forward, and to know whether my master's enemies were given, by the London Company, permission to do whatsoever they pleased. AN ATTACK BY THE SAVAGES Just after sunset, and before the darkness of night closed in, those who had been on shore came back very hurriedly and in disorder, bringing with them in the foremost boat two wounded men. "'They have had a battle with some one, master,' I reported, before yet the boats were come alongside, and for the first time that day did Captain Smith appear to be deeply concerned. I heard him say as if to himself, not intending that the words should reach me, Lack of caution in dealing with the savages is like to cost us dearly. Half an hour later I heard all the story from Nathaniel Peacock, who had believed himself fortunate when he was allowed to accompany the party on shore. According to his account, the company from the fleet roamed over much of the land during the day, finding their meadows and goodly trees, with streams of fresh water here and there, bespeaking fish in abundance. Nothing was seen or heard to disturb our people until the signal had been given for all to go on board the boats, that they might return to the ships, and then it was that a number of naked, brown men, creeping upon their hands and knees like animals, with bows and arrows held between their teeth, came out suddenly from amid the foliage to the number, as Nathaniel declared, of not less than a hundred. While the white men stood dismayed, awaiting some order from those who chose to call themselves leaders, the savages shot a multitude of arrows into the midst of the company, wounding Captain Gabriel Archer in both his hands, and dangerously hurting one of the seamen. Captain Gosnold gave command for the firearms to be discharged, whereupon the savages disappeared suddenly, and without delay our people returned to the fleet." READING THE LONDON COMPANY'S ORDERS An hour later, when those who had just come from the shore had been refreshed with food, I noted with much of anxiety that all the gentlemen of the company, not only such as belonged on board the Susan Constant, but those from the Speedwell, gathered in the great cabin of our ship, and looking out ever so cautiously while the door of Captain Smith's room was ajar, 
I saw them gather around the big table on which, as if it were something of greatest value, was placed a box made of some dark-colored wood. It was Master Hunt who opened this, and taking out a paper he read in a voice so loud that even my master, as he lay in his narrow bed, could hear the names of those who were chosen by the London Company to form the council for the government of the new land of Virginia. These were the names as he read them, Bartholomew Gosnold, Edward Wingfield, Christopher Newport, John Smith, John Ratcliffe, John Martin, and George Kendall. My heart seemingly leaped into my throat with triumph when I thus heard the name of my master among those who were to stand as leaders of the company, and so excited had I become that that which Master Hunt read from the remainder of the paper failed to attract my attention. I learned afterward, however, that among the rules governing the actions of this council was one that a president should be chosen each year, and that matters of moment were to be determined by vote of the council, in which the president might cast two ballots. CAPTAIN SMITH A MEMBER OF THE COUNCIL It was when Master Hunt ceased reading that I believed my master would be set free without delay, for of a verity he had the same right to take part in the deliberations as any other, since it was the will of the London Company that he should be one of the leaders. But much to my surprise, nothing of the kind was done. Captain Kendall, seeing the door of my master's room slightly open, arose from the table and closed it, as if he were about to say something which should not be heard by Captain Smith. I would have opened the door again, but that my master bade me leave it closed, and when an hour or more had passed, Master Hunt came in to us, stating that it had not yet been decided by the other members of the council whether Captain Smith should be allowed to take part in the affairs, as the London Company had decided, or whether he should be sent home for judgment when the fleet returned. But meanwhile he was to have his liberty. Then it was that Master Hunt, talking like the true man he ever showed himself to be, advised Captain Smith to do, in all things, so far as the other members of the council permitted, as if nothing had gone awry, claiming that before we had been many days in this land, those who had brought charges against him would fail of making them good. Had I been the one thus so grievously injured, the whole company might have shipwrecked themselves before I would have raised a hand, all of which goes to show that I had not learned to rule my temper. Captain Smith, however, agreed with all Master Hunt said, and then it was that I was sent forward once more. My master went on deck for the first time since we had left Martinique, walking to and fro, swiftly, as if it pleased him to have command of his legs once more. Captain Smith forced to remain aboard. If Master Hunt and Master Wingfield had been able to bring the others around to their way of thinking, Captain Smith would have taken his rightful place in the council without delay. Instead of which, however, he remained on board the ship idle, when there was much that he could have done better than any other, from the day on which we came in sight of Virginia, which was the twenty-sixth day of April, until the fifteenth day of June. During all this time, those of the council who were his enemies claimed that they could prove he had laid plans to murder all the chief men, and take his place as king. But yet they did not do so, 
and my master refused to hold any parley with them, except that he claimed he was innocent of all wrong in thought or in act. When the others of the fleet set off to spy out the land, my master remained aboard the ship, still being a prisoner, except so far that he wore no fetters, and I would not have left him save he had commanded me sharply, for at that time so sore was his heart, that even a lad like me could now and then say some word which might have in it somewhat of cheer. During this time that Captain Smith was with the company, and yet not numbered as one of them, the other gentlemen explored the country, and more than once was Nathaniel Peacock allowed to accompany them. Therefore did I hear much which otherwise would not have been told me. And what happened during these two months, when the gentlemen were much the same as quarrelling among themselves, I shall set down in as few words as possible, to the end that I may the sooner come to that story of our life in the new village, which some called James Fort, and others Jamestown, after King James of England. End of section 4